Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. And if you would, um, just keep your Bible open uh, because we'll be looking at uh, a lot of different places in Scripture this morning uh, more than normal. I guess it's okay in a series about the Bible to read the Bible. So uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, join us there. Um, 17, 7 and 8. And uh, as you're turning there, today's the last day of this series, and I pray that it's uh, meant as much to you as it has to me. As you're turning there, let me give you an update uh, really quickly on Orange Fest. Man, you guys have been uh, super uh, responsive to Orange Fest. And if you look in your bulletin, um, I put a map today. Just take a look inside your bulletin. There's a little insert. I I wanted you to see the map of what's going to happen that night so that you would be aware um, of how different this is and how awesome it is. Because it's going to be super, super awesome. If you look at your map there, you can see we're going to have uh, South Diesel Town and Pandaland and Adventureland and North Diesel Town and Fantasyland and Information Station, Critterland, uh, and It's a Small World, which is going to be a really neat display uh, with people dressed at the park, uh, and and uh, displaying the diversity of Kingwood Church. And so several in our uh, Hispanic ministry will be there handing out uh, Hispanic candy, and then we'll have a whole area dressed like China. It'll just be an awesome, awesome place for a kid to come through and see, uh, sort of be exposed to the world at large. But this is how the thing's going to play out. It's going to be a super fun night. You've been so responsive, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it. We needed about 200 people. When we moved inside, it opened up, uh, 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 it opened up a greater need uh, for servants. And uh, you've responded so well. We needed about 200. So far, we've got, I think, 170-something. And so we got about you know, 20 more uh, folks that we need. But there's areas, there's entire areas that we have filled with servants that we don't need anybody there anymore, but we have areas that we still need folks. So uh, if you look online, go to kingwoodchurch.com, go to the 30 Serve button, and under there you'll see uh, Orange Fest. You can push it, and all the opportunities there, some of them we've taken off because they're just full. In the foyer, you can see the same thing today. But look, once we get 200 people, we still have many areas that the more the better. So I want to encourage you, don't feel like, well, somebody's going to take those and then I won't, I won't get in. We can take as many as we have. So we'd love for you uh, to sign up to serve, and the more people we have, the better it's going to be. Also, we have these uh, brochures or these uh, postcards that are going to go out this week, but you can pick up, they're all over the building, you can pick up some of them, and I want to encourage you to invite a family that you know who doesn't have a home church. This would be a great way to introduce them uh, to Kingwood Church. So it's going to be an incredible, incredible night, uh, and, and I'm so excited. One week from today, 5.30, we're going to be here. The whole campus is going to be transformed. Next week when you come, the campus will already look a lot different, and then we'll ramp up that night and have a great time. All right, uh, Jeremiah 17, um, let me catch you up to speed in case this might be your first Sunday or maybe that you've missed a few Sundays this month. We've been in this series we've called Uh, history or his story. We're saying this, the Bible is his story. The Bible is God's story. It's not the story of Adam and Eve or Abraham. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's it's God's story. 
And so we basically said the first week, the Bible is his story. The second week, we said his story transforms us. So we read the Bible not for information, not just to gain knowledge, but for transformation. And that's a different way of reading than we read the newspaper or the internet or a text or a blog. It's a completely different way that we've been talking about this month. Last week we said his story protects us. And then today we'll finish the series and say his story takes us deep. Now, one month of reading the Bible, some of you have uh, maybe done this once. Some of you maybe have read the Bible more than you have in recent memory. Some of you may have read it every day or two or three times a week. Many of you have used the method that we put on the internet. You can see we put an insert in the bulletin the first week called SOAP. In other words, Scripture. And then I'm going to write down what do I observe about that passage. We've given you a chapter every day to read. Then you write down the, the verse that stuck out to you. You write down observation. What did I observe? What do I notice? What do I learn? What does this verse mean? And then A means application. And so you write down, this is how I can apply this. And then prayer. So that's the time where you say, this is, you know, I'm going to ask God to help me to live this scripture out in my life. So this is a way to read the Bible uh, that has made a huge impact inside our church. One month of reading the Bible and the impact is noticeable. You can notice the impact in our worship. You can notice the impact in Soak last Sunday night. You could see the impact of people engaging the Scripture themselves. Uh, it's shown up in conversation. We've seen it on Facebook. I had somebody uh, send me a message this week and say this. This is the first time our family has ever read the Bible together. And it was so encouraging to us all. So this way of reading the Bible has been really transformational for our church. So this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Esther Graham if you would come and join me here. Uh, we've been having someone every week read their, their soap, their scripture, observation, application, and prayer from the scripture they read that week. So this is our soapbox, uh, in case you hadn't been here. It's, it's funny only to me, I think, by now. But this is our soapbox. And so a soapbox is a subject you get on that you can't get off. And so I've asked Esther to come today, and if you would just share your soap with us. Go ahead. First, I'd like to share that reading, using this model that Pastor has shared with us has really impacted my devotionals. It has caused me to grow deeper and to go much further in my devotionals every morning. So I'm really appreciative, and I'm thankful for that. Bring your mic up just a little bit. Okay. There you go. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, the scripture that um, impacted me is Psalm 119, verses 92 and 93. And it reads, Unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. And what I got from this, what I observed, what God was really telling me, that his law is powerful, and it, it is his word. So... The meaning that I got from the affliction, we have several things that impact our lives from day to day. You know, it could be things that we encounter at work. It could be things that we encounter from just life. It could be bereavement. It could be loneliness. But the word of God quickens us and make us alive. And my prayer is to allow the word of God to, see, to sink deep within my spirit as I minister, as he ministered to me every morning, I pray that my ears are open and sensitive to what he's telling me. 
I love you. Appreciate you. Wow. Is it, imagine reading the Bible every day or regularly like that. And imagine the impact that comes into your soul as God reveals himself to you through his word. So this morning, um, let's take another look at how his story impacts us. And what we've said this morning is his story takes us deep. And so our church's mission, uh, like we'll see next Sunday when we do Orange Fest, is to reach out as far as we can reach. To reach out to the person who maybe knows everything about God but isn't close to him, a person who's walked away from God, or a person who's never known God. Or a person, our church supports, you know, over 80 missionaries all over the world. And we take mission trips every year because we take seriously the commission God's given us to reach as far as we can reach. But we're not called just to reach far, we're also called to reach deep. And so this morning, that's what I really want to share with you is God's word on us as believers is that we would go deep. And so our church also takes seriously the responsibility of how do we get deep? And I, I want to uh, sort of start this conversation with a story. I was reading a book by Wayne Cordero who wrote a book uh, named um, Divine uh, Mentors. And he says in this book, he's a pastor of a large church in Hawaii, and he tells a story of a sullen staff pastor that came into his office one day, and he just opened with, I think that my season here at the church is up. And so Wayne Cordero says to him, is there any reason you feel that way? And he hesitated and he said, I'm just not being fed here. I'm just not being fed here. And so he challenged this starving staff pastor with his picture. He said, I want you to imagine for a minute that my wife goes to the grocery store every week and she shops and she carefully selects ingredients that she needs to prepare a meal and she plans a menu for the week or the month and she plans that meal and she starts early before I get home and she cuts those ingredients up and washes them and cooks them and prepares them and sets them on the table and I come home and I walk past the table and I never eat. And she looks at me one day and she says, your eyes are sunk in, you're losing your energy, you're losing your strength, you're depleted from lack of nutrition. And she says, what's wrong with you? And he says, I'm just not getting fed around here. Nobody's feeding me. What do you think her response would be? Feed yourself. I cook, I shop. I do the menu, I put it on the table, you got to pick the fork up and eat it, right? He asked the staff pastor then about his daily devotions. What's your devotional life like? And he said he received an empty stare. Because this guy had neglected one of the essential parts of his Christian faith and his relationship with God. Now, in American Christianity, uh, we've gotten this wrong. And it's killing us. And every year, hundreds of thousands, maybe even a few million Christians in America uh, go around shopping around uh, for a church change because they're looking for an external solution to an internal problem. And they say to you, I'm not going over at so-and-so anymore because I'm not being fed. That's a universal phrase that I think the devil himself has inserted into the American church 
to, to give pers- a person a reason to make a transition to run away from the transformation that's needed internally. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not being fed. Now, I want to say this to you, and uh, uh, this may be something that you've never heard in your life. You've never heard anybody say anywhere in your life. But because we're concerned about going not just wide but deep, this is something that I need to say. My job as a pastor is not to feed you. It's to teach you to feed yourself. So if you're not full, look whose hand the fork's in. (laughs) Right? And no other way makes sense. Last week we talked about how we spend, by the time we graduate high school, 30,000 hours of watching TV and in education and 1,500 hours of being taught the Bible in a church. 30,000 to 1,500. We can't compete with that. Unless you get involved with your own spiritual diet. Unless you take ownership of the food that you're going to have inside your own life. Now, there's only one way to get to a deeper place in God. You have to engage God yourself. No one can do your relationship with God for you, and I can't do it for you. So this morning, I'm giving you a sermon, but this right here is the sermon. And so what you have to do is you have to take that sermon, and as Esther showed us this morning, you have to engage the revelation of God in the Word. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 gives us a beautiful vision that God has for what our life in Him would look like. Listen to this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's God's dream over your life. That's God's dream over my life, that we would engage that way. And the Bible is like an underground water source on the surface. It's a small flow of water that bubbles up. But then underneath that, there's a small pool of water and an underground stream. And it turns into an underground river that leads to a huge uh, lake buried in a giant cavern a thousand feet deep. This is what the Bible's like. It's the revelation of God. And there are layers and layers of truth and revelation because there are layers and layers of truth and revelation about God and of God. And as you go deeper, the water doesn't change into some other substance. It doesn't become something else. God doesn't change. His revelation just gets deeper. The Bible is God's deepening revelation and His invitation of us to go deeper. So if you have something to write with this morning, let me give you four ways the Bible takes us deep. Here's the first one. The Bible takes us deep in love for God. Now there's something called creative affinity. Maybe you've heard that phrase and maybe you haven't. Here's what it basically means. It means we become more like that which we love. Now, this morning I was going to bring some examples so you could just sort of get an idea of it. We've got a couple of pictures I want to show you. Go ahead and put the first picture up. We become more like what we love. Okay. Now, obviously, she loves her dog. Right? And, and this, this girl's love for her dog has created a, you know, so they sort of look alike, right? 
And maybe you've heard the old phrase or you've, you've, the old adage that you take a couple who's been married for 35, 45, 55 years, and isn't it interesting that that couple starts to look alike? So show me the next There you go. Look, don't they look alike? They've spent their whole life together. And in time, they've gotten to where they just look alike. Why? Because they, they love each other. You become like that what you love. All right, now show us the next picture. Okay. See, clearly. Clearly. An Alabama fan, right? This guy begins to look like what he loves. Let's do one more. Just to balance the room out. There you go. All right. See? Thank God they both won yesterday. That makes this so much easier. All right, see? Now, you, you become like that which you love. Now, why does God want us to love him? Because we start to look like what we love. God wants for us to look like Jesus, so he invites us into a love relationship because it's best for us. It transforms us. It makes us begin to look like him, to talk like him, to act like him. And the Bible is the best tool that we have in order to get to know God. The Bible is God revealing himself uh, to us. And the more we meet God in the accurate revelation of himself, that scripture, the more we love him and become like him. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to go through all the scriptures this morning, but I was just thinking of some places that we see that invitation in scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that we find him when we seek him with all our heart. And in 1 John, the Bible tells us that loving God is defined as obeying God. So you can imagine if seeking God and obeying God and loving God and coming, coming in close to God, pursuing Him, getting to know Him in the transformational revelation of His Word, then over the years, we start to look, sound, act, think, walk, talk like God. And that's really the whole point. So the Bible takes us deep in love for God. Here's the second one. The Bible takes us deep in discernment and wisdom. Man, if I could think of anything that we're lacking today, it's wisdom. We have knowledge uh, like air. (laughs) Knowledge is flying off the wall, floating through the air. The knowledge is stacking upon knowledge, is stacking upon knowledge. I don't even know where we're going to keep it all because it just keeps expanding. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, knowledge will, will expand. But wisdom, wisdom, discernment. People who don't read the Bible have trouble hearing God's voice. Which is really what wisdom is, isn't it? That's what discernment is. And people who don't read the Bible have trouble hearing God's voice in one of two ways. Either they think they hear his voice, and it's like the pizza they ate the night before. You know, you've been around those people, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, and you look at them, I'm not sure God would say that. Or you have the person on the other end who's spiritually hard of hearing. In other words, I've heard people say, I wish God would speak to me that way. I wish God would talk to me. I wish, I wish I got ideas like that. I wish I got impressions like that. I wish I felt that nudge inside my heart. I wish, I, when they see something dramatic happen that God does, maybe a gift of the Spirit or something, they say, I wish God would do that in my life. And the question I would have is, how often do you 
get to know him in the pages of Scripture. How often do you hear his voice in his written word? That's where the discernment comes from. That's where the wisdom comes from. The people that I know who are most aware of God's guidance in their life read the Bible on some regular basis. They meet Jesus there. When we lived in Florida, I had the opportunity to serve on staff with a man named Boyce Tees. And I always admired him so much. If you buy the adage that you, you don't measure a person by what they accomplish, but you measure a person by what they've overcome, he was one of those guys to me. He had an awful, awful uh, childhood in those years. And by all human accounts, his life should have just been shattered and destroyed. He, he went in the military. He went in, uh, I believe, the Air Force. He rose to a, a pretty solid rank. Uh, he found Christ in the middle of all that. Uh, as he retired out of the military after 20 years of service, he became a staff pastor at our church, and that's how I met him. He got his degree in counseling. He became a counselor. But unlike anybody I've ever known in my life, the best example of any human I've ever met in my life, he searched read, chewed on, devoured God's Word. I mean, when I talked to him, he was the first person I noticed in my life that when I talked to him, it was like reading the Bible. And I don't mean that. I mean, I've had other people that I thought that for a bad reason. Because they would tell you, you know, they would do it in King James, uh, and they would put the V and the thou just so you'd know where they got it. Or they would wrote the, you know, always giving you the reference or always quoting the Bible at you or something like that. I don't mean somebody that's throwing scripture bombs at you. I mean this guy's thinking has been so transformed internally by the Bible, I would have no idea where he got it. But when he spoke, it was fresh. When he spoke, it, it, it stirred my heart. When he talked, I would hear him talk about hunting, which I've never been hunting in my life. Never killed nothing that I can remember, not on purpose. He, he was a hunter, and he'd go deer hunting. He would tell me these stories about how he's deer hunting or when he was counseling somebody or when he was working with the family, this, this, this. And his whole, he, he would get to the church sometimes at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and he would write uh, 90 and 100 page studies on like one Greek word. I mean, he would just bury himself. But he was desperate because of the situation he came from. It drove him into God's heart, and he so processed the Scripture in his inner man, it had transformed his life transformed his approach to living and to faith. And one time I remember he even set me up and said, hey, would you teach this Sunday school class for me? I said, man, I just don't have time. He goes, no, no, I wrote the book. Would you just teach the book I wrote? And so he gave me this teaching he did on spiritual warfare, and I got to teach it, and I'm teaching it. I'm thinking, man, this is great. I wish I already knew this. You know, this is incredible stuff, but I got to teach it. And, and he was that kind of guy, just transformed his life. Here's what he reminded me of, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Let me give you another word for that. Discernment and wisdom. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, isn't that something sometimes when we lack direction or wisdom or I don't know what to do or I don't know how to handle this, I don't know where to go, and so many times the answer, not, not, what I don't want you to think is I'm saying the answer's in some obscure verse and if you can just find it, there's the answer to your problem. No, no, no. The Bible's not a slot machine that you pull the handle and out comes the answer. That's not the thing. The answer is in the revelation of Jesus. 
And as I get to know him, I am empowered with wisdom and discernment. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I'm flawless, doesn't mean I'm infallible, but it does mean I'm a whole lot smarter than I was when I started. Because I've gained wisdom, I've gained discernment. It's almost like if you've ever had this experience, uh, you've never owned a blue car in your life, you buy a blue car, what's the first thing you notice the next day on your way to work? All the blue cars. You're like, isn't it something? Everybody bought a blue car the same time that we did. Isn't that amazing? Where did all these blue cars come from? And you never notice how many blue cars there were out there on the road until you bought one. But watch this. It's because you have one. It's a different way of seeing what was already there. See, God is constantly speaking. And when I read the Bible, I hear his voice through the written word. I hear his gentle voice guiding me that was there all along. So I get to know God in Scripture, and now all of a sudden I'm going to the water fountain, or I'm going to the bathroom, or I'm going to lunch, or I'm driving in my car on my way somewhere, and something happens, and now I realize God's talking to me when I'm driving the car down the road. Was it, did he just start? No, he's been doing it for years. It's that now that I know his voice in Scripture, now I know his voice. Now I've got discernment and I've got wisdom. How do I know that my inner impressions are from God and they're not from me? That's called discernment. I become familiar with his voice as I read it in Scripture, and his voice is then confirmed in me as I hear his voice in Scripture. All right, now here's the third one. His story also takes us deep in character. Deep in character is when you're the same on the inside as you appear to be on the outside. I've heard somebody say it like this, from crust to core. It's almost like, have you ever seen a piece of imitation uh, wood furniture? And, and it has the appearance like it's solid. It looks like wood on the outside, but underneath it's press board covered in veneer. And if it gets moved around too much, it starts to shake loose from the inside out. And it starts to fall apart. But a desk or a table or a door that is real oak is solid to the core. And it'll last a lifetime if it's built right. This is what it's like to have character. It's like your oak all the way to the core. It's like your oak all the way to the middle. The same on the outside as you are on the inside. And the Bible describes vividly in more than two places, but two places that come to my mind, Galatians 5 and Matthew 5. In Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God wants to produce on the inside. He doesn't want us to put our church face on and come and look the part. He wants us to be the part inside. So the outside and the inside are congruent. They're the same. They're aligned. If you could cut one of us open and look at the layers all the way in, every layer would be the same. That's what God wants inside of our character. Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes. Now, in Matthew 7, Jesus tells a story about a wise man and a foolish man. And they both heard the Bible... But one puts the words in practice and the other one didn't. By the way, that's exactly what we've been saying in the month of October as you read the Bible in a soap. There's the scripture. I hear it. I see it. I observe. I try to understand what it means to me, what, it, what God is saying through his word. Application, I try to figure out how I can practice it. And then prayer, I ask God to help me practice it. Jesus in this parable calls that being a wise person. Being a wise man. So he said this wise man 
put his house on a rock, this foolish man put his house on the sand. What's the difference? This guy heard God's word and practiced it. This guy heard God's word and did not practice it. So both the men built their house on, the, uh, on a foundation. Both of them had a storm hit their house, but how way, well they endured it was determined by the foundation itself. Let me, let me say it a different way. If you've ever uh, been around uh, a distance runner, I, I've never ran uh, a distance unless somebody was chasing me. But if you've ever been around a person that's ran 10, 20, 30 miles, something like this, distance runner, there's something called the wall. It's invisible, but it's undeniably real. About 18 miles into the race, it jumps on you. And every step past that wall feels like your shoes are on fire and the road's starting to punch back. Now here's what's interesting about the wall. Veterans and novices alike hit the wall. It's unavoidable you're going to hit it. But how hard it feels depends on the preparation you put in before the race. Sometimes it's a, a slight setback of fatigue and pain. Other people hit the wall and they fall back in a, in a daze. What makes the difference in the impact of the wall on you? It has everything to do with what's inside the runner when they hit the wall. That's what changes it. These guys who built their house on this foundation, it had everything to do. The storm was coming. The wall was coming. How well you stand is determined by what your house is built on. How well you get through the wall is determined what's inside you when you hit it. And if it's all veneer, everybody's going to hit the wall. How well you deal with it is what's inside you. The Bible takes us deep in character. The Bible puts something inside us. The Bible makes us oak to the core, solid to the middle, the same on the inside as we are on the outside. Now, here's the final way that the Bible takes us deep. Deep in, in freedom. So deep in love for God, deep in wisdom and discernment, deep in character, and deep and deep in freedom. There's a story in Matthew 12 uh, that's fascinating probably to us in our, in our thinking. But there was a guy who, who had an impure, the Bible says an impure spirit. And this spirit comes out of the man. This evil spirit comes out of the man. And it goes around and it's looking for somewhere to live. And it says, you know what, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back into the guy that I came out of. But the Bible says when he goes back to the guy, the guy's life has now been put in order and the house has been swept, the house has been cleaned, the house has been put in order. So he sees this is a good place to return to. So he goes and gets seven other spirits more evil than him. He takes all of them and they go back and take the guy over again. And the guy's condition, the Bible says, is worse than it was before he started. Now, now that's, that's an interesting understanding of how our inner life works. Freedom is like everything else in the kingdom. It must be walked through in layers. The Bible takes you and I deeper and deeper and deeper. God's revelation of himself is a graduating revelation. The freedom that we walk in is a graduating freedom as we walk deeper and deeper in him. We become more free more liberated, more unchained. Now, there's no encounter with God that's so powerful and so permanent 
that you can just go on autopilot after it. That's what this teaches us. We've all known people who've walked in deep bondage or patterns of sin or patterns of brokenness. They've had an encounter with God. They've been set free. They've walked free. But, but to this day, they're back in the same pattern again. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean there's something wrong with the experience they had with God? I mean, maybe, but, but there's another thought. It may also be that when they were free, the house was left empty and it was never filled. So I'm concerned that our theology is being shaped by a consumeristic culture or, or a love of the dramatic than the Bible itself. There's no encounter with God you're ever going to have that's so good that it requires no follow-through from you. No follow-up, no discipleship, no growth, no engagement, no taking up your cross and following after God. There's never an event that's ever going to happen in your life that finishes it. Jesus finished it on the cross. We unpack it the rest of our life. John 8, 31, 32 says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That's an interesting word, hold. Then you will know the truth. We, we, I mean, this is like even in, you'll find this in Hollywood. You'll find this on modern films quoted. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. There is no greater revelation than the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. We don't need a greater revelation. We need greater depth in the revelation we already got. And so, what does God revealing himself in Jesus mean to your current circumstances? It means this. It means that God is greater. God's greater. That's what the revelation of God means. God is greater. He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. And he loves you unconditionally. And he's greater than whatever circumstances you have. This is Jesus' teaching. If you hold to Jesus' teaching, you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. So the Bible takes us deeper in love for God, in wisdom and discernment. The Bible takes us deeper in character. The, top, the Bible takes us deeper in freedom. And that's where I want to stop this morning. I want to ask the worship team to join me today. Here, here's a, a thought uh, that the Holy Spirit really pressed on me this morning. And I, I want to I end here. I think uh, the place that we see uh, the, greatest, the greatest struggle in our own life is when we attempt to do our relationship with God ourselves. It doesn't mean you don't need the church. Yes, you do need the church. They work together. But neither does the, is the church all the spiritual life that you need. You need the combination. I think the reason we struggle, two reasons, so in so much difficulty. Okay, I'm going to say, let's read the Bible for a month, right? What's the struggle? What's the struggle? Anytime you're given a plan of any type, to pursue God with, what's the struggle? The struggle is, what do I do when I don't do it? What do I do when I miss a day? What do I do when I fail? What do I do? Blah, 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 blah. So here's what I want you to know right up front. This series has not been about and is not about 
you slapping yourself in shape and getting, getting the energy and getting committed and getting dedicated and getting determined and finally living the life that God's always wanted you to live because you're going to make it happen and I'm going to do my devotions every day and I've struggled reading the Bible all my life. I've struggled praying the way I ought to. But boy, this time I'm going to go to Lifeway when it's over. I'm going to get on Amazon. I'm going to buy a good devotional. I'm going to go to Bible.com. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to get it all set up. I'm going to get it right. Finally, Jesus, this time I'm going to get it right. You know why? Because I feel like I need to. You're going to do good for about three days. And then life's going to set in on you, and you're going to mess something up. And let me tell you what's going to happen. The enemy who the Bible teaches us is the accuser of the brethren is going to say, I told you so. Everybody at church is reading but you. Everybody has a good prayer life but you. That's what the enemy's going to say. This is for everybody but you. You're not going to do it right. You're not going to get it, so you might as well just quit now. And what do you do? You get defeated. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen to me. I've lived through that junk for years. I fought it. I battled it for years. For years of my life, I fought restarting and restarting and restarting and getting better. And this time, and I got the right devotional, I got the right Bible reading plan, and I've got the right way, and now I've got the right way to pray. And I found the right spot to go pray in, and I finally made it work in my schedule. And this time, God, this time it's going to be different. Like a diet. And then, and then you fail. And then what happens? What happens? Then you give up. You quit. You frustrate. You separate. And, and I, think the, I think the wedge that religion and the enemy and our flesh uses to separate us from God is guilt and condemnation. So here's, if I, if I could give you wisdom, here's the way I'd prefer you to approach your Bible reading time. I will fail. You know why I'm starting today? Because I'll fail. But God won't. And so, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ that follow the Spirit but not the flesh. So today, today, I, you don't have to take responsibility for the rest of your life or reading the Bible through, you know, December 31st is coming, you better get it finished because Jesus might come back and then what will you do? You don't have to do all that. What you have to do is just don't quit. See, the enemy would rather the enemy would rather you quit than even engage a little bit. Because if you engage a little bit, you might get encouraged. And you might get strong. And you might grow. And you might find that Jesus isn't the ogre that he wants to pretend that he is. And you might find some freedom. And you might find some liberty. And you might just find joy and peace and righteousness. You might find grace. And he doesn't want you to find that. So what he does is he keeps focusing you on your own performance and saying, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Give up now, quit, go back. It's not for you. And I'm telling you, I want to drag that lie out in the middle of the room this morning. And I want to expose it in the light of Jesus' truth. And I want to tell you it is by grace that you've been saved. I'm telling you, grace is powerful to set you free. So look, I wish I could, we could just sit down one-on-one -on -one and I could say, here's the deal. I'm convinced after working with 
a few hundred people in my 20 years of ministry on this issue of their own Bible study and prayer, I'm convinced that guilt's the number one condemnation and guilt's the number one thing. I, I don't read good, I don't, whatever. Look, here's what I want to tell you. Don't quit. Every day's a new day. Every day has new grace. Get up in that day and live in that grace. And you're going to fail and you're not going to do what you're supposed to do sometimes and you're not going to read the Bible all the time and you're not going to pray all the time and you're not going to do all that like you ought to always do it. But that's why Jesus died. Like if we could do it how we were supposed to do it, he wouldn't have had to die. Right? So you can't make this thing... And See how tricky the enemy is? He will use that stuff. He can't separate you from Jesus' resurrection because Jesus is already resurrected. So what he'll try to separate you from is accessing that resurrection power. By saying, avoid God. You, you, can't, you ever had a time in your life you walked sort of distant from God and then something happened and then you'd really feel that you'd need to pray, but you say, well, I can't pray now. I mean, I hadn't talked to God in a month. I mean, I can't pray now. Now I'm just using God. Wait a minute. Who gave you the authority to talk to God in the first place? Jesus did when he went into the Holy of Holies and he tore the veil from top to bottom and he purified that room with his blood. It's by his finished work that you access him anyway. Right? It's not about did I do my devotions this month or not. It's about did Jesus die for you or not. And if he did, you're free. Here's the thing. It's what you have to become convinced of is to walk into the freedom you already have, not to earn it. You can't earn it. It's already been earned. I don't know if anybody feels better, but I'm feeling a lot better. This stuff kills me because I see the havoc the enemy... Okay, look. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm, I'm just telling you, you can sense in this room the confirmation of the work of the Spirit that freedom is in this room. Right? freedom. So I, I, I haven't been trying to take this and put this weight on you like a Pharisee and say now grow up and read the Bible. I've been trying to say God has a vision for your life and it's that you're a tree planted by streams of living water whose roots go down deep, who will flourish in due season, who will produce fruit, whose leaves do not wither and who doesn't worry about what's going on around them. Boy, isn't that great? I'd love to never worry. Wouldn't that be incredible? So here's what I want you to do today. I just thought when we got to this deal on freedom that there's more here, especially as it relates to devotions. We've got another week of uh, chapters laid out on the, our website under the history button, What is Soap? I think we're reading James this week. And so I just want to encourage you. Maybe you've never even started with it. Start like today, tomorrow. Just start. Get a Bible. Sit down and read it. Look, you don't need a devotional book. You don't need a fancy technology. You don't need the coolest pastor in America who's written the latest book. You don't need nothing. You need a Bible and you need a pen you need paper. You don't need nothing else. Shut the door. Open your Bible. Start at James 1. Read it and say, God, help me. God will help you. Look, this week, i just tell you. This week, uh, I, man, I wanted to read. Uh, I wanted to do five... I wanted to do five devotions this week uh, from soap. I, 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 to be honest, this is the honest truth. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I either did two or three. I don't remember. It was two or three. It was not what I wanted. Now, what do you do? 
look, the week unfolded. Uh, my wife was gone. I'm taking care of the kids. I got all this, you know, all that. I, life took over, and, and I wish I'd have done different. But what am I going to do? Would I quit? Would I not pastor anymore? Would I not be a Christian anymore? Do I not start this week? Do I not read the Bible? No. No. That's the thing. No. No. That's what the enemy wants to do. Listen to the discernment of the Spirit. He wants to drive you from God. Let your inability drive you to Him. Let what you didn't do get you to show up again. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to have my head held by because I'm going to say it's by grace that I'm saved. It's not my works. There's nothing I could have done to provide this opportunity. I'm just showing up to accept it. When you live in that kind of freedom, I'm telling you, you'll sense the power of God at work in your life like you've never known it. Shake off those voices of condemnation and guilt and fear. All right, that's the fifth part of this series that I didn't even plan. It should have been for next week. Stand with me. I'll hold you here all day. I can tell, I talk to you about grace because I've received it. Here's what I just want you to do. Every eye closed. Here's all I want you to do, okay? This is going to be very, very, very simple. But it's going to be incredibly powerful. All I want you to do is I want you to accept God's grace. For every sin, for every failure, for every time you didn't read the Bible, for every time you didn't pray, for every time you did something wrong, for every time that you your heart was wrong, even though the action was right, for every, every time, everything that separates you, every work or, in, or lack of work that separates you and your spirit and your mind and your emotion and your soul from God, I want you just this morning to accept God's grace. That's all. And I'm telling you, there's freedom. And that freedom will lunge you into His heart. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the worship team in just a minute to play. We're not even going to have the prayer team. If you say, I, I need God's grace today on my life. I accept God's grace. I receive God's grace. I stand on God's grace. I depend on God's grace. For freedom, for life, for peace, for my devotion, for my relationship, I enter and receive. I'm telling you, some of you this morning are going to walk into a freedom you've not felt maybe ever in some time. Here's all I want you to do. I'm going to pray, and I just want you to step out and walk here to this prayer spot. And nobody's even going to pray with you. I just want you to come and stand here. And as you come, I want you to say, today I receive the grace of God. I receive God's grace to cover my inability, my fear, my guilt, my shame, my sin. I receive God's grace. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you this morning for the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I thank you today for the revelation of Jesus and the Word of God that said, if you hold to this truth, the truth will set you free. I believe it, and I proclaim it, and I'm an example of it, and I live in it today, and I walk in it. So, Lord, today we walk in your grace. Worship team, go ahead and begin to sing. I, I'm only going to hold you for about two or three minutes. I just want you to take that act of faith.